Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM. Welcome to another edition of Food Farm Talk where we celebrate food and honor those who champion the cause of food in society. Welcome to another exciting episode of Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. I'm your host, Emily Duncan, and the show is also hosted by Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. This week we are airing the first part of a series of webinars that have been organized by the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph and the Food from Thought Initiative. We have a wonderful panel of experts, including our own Abdul Rahim. The topic of today's show is COVID-19 and social impacts on rural communities. It's going to be a really interesting discussion. So without further ado, I will let Dr. Phil Loring, the moderator of this discussion, introduce the panelists. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our webinar on COVID-19 and the social impacts of rural communities. My name is Philip Loring. I'm the Errol Chair in Food Policy and Society at the University of Guelph. And I'm joined today by a number of really fantastic panelists that I'm going to introduce just now. First, there's Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. He's an Errol Scholar and PhD candidate in the Department of Geography. Next, we have Dr. Ryan Gibson, who's an Associate Professor and the Libro Professor in Regional Economic Development. He's in the Rural Planning and Development Program at the School of Environmental Design and Rural Development. We're also joined by Dr. Helen Hambly-Odame. She's an associate professor of capacity in the Capacity Development and Extension Program, also in the School of Environmental Design and Rural Development. And finally, Jackie Empson laporte She's an environmental specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. Now, to get us started, I know we're all watching or participating in this from different parts in our homes and different parts of the world, but I'd like to acknowledge that the University of Guelph resides in the ancestral and treaty lands of several indigenous peoples, including the Attawarndurin people and the Mississauga of the Credit. And we recognize and honor our Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Métis neighbors. Next, I'd also like to acknowledge that the University of Guelph and OMAFRA have worked together for decades to support Ontario's agri-food and rural sectors and continue to do so with the Ontario Agri-Food Innovation Alliance, a collaboration between OMAFRA and the University of Guelph. This collaboration supports the people, places, and programs producing Ontario agri-food solutions with global impact. Now, as I said, we're here to talk about the impacts of COVID-19 on rural communities. So to start, an opening question. COVID-19 is no doubt a major disruption for rural communities, but rural communities are already dealing with a variety of challenges, some of which will no doubt be exacerbated by COVID-19, and others that really increase communities' vulnerability. So to start, maybe I'll have some of the panelists tell us something about your area and the impacts and challenges that you're seeing or hearing unfold. And I'd like to start with Jackie. Hi. 
Uh, so I'm Jackie and I work in a field office of OMAFRA and so I work out of the Clinton office. Um, I'm really fortunate to work, uh, to live where I work and to work where I grew up, uh, as well as working with rural communities and organizations in my job. And in my personal life, I volunteer also as a team leader and crisis responder with Victim Services of Huron County. I can speak about Victim Services Huron only. Um, other counties have similar organizations, but they operate on different models. Um, in both roles, I'm seeing the stress in farmers and their families caused by disruptions to supply chains or even the threat of disruptions to supply chains. I see market uncertainty and they've worked really hard to raise their crops or their livestock and they're, they're not really sure what's going to happen with their markets. I see small businesses in my town and, and restaurants in my town um, in these small towns that were already struggling and they're trying to adapt really quickly to new consumer environments and restrictions. Uh, while my kids have had sufficient internet access to finish their schoolwork, some of their friends don't. Uh, some of my OMAFRA colleagues have encountered similar challenges in using new technology uh, that's been provided. You can see stress in people's social media posts, in the news feeds. Um, when you talk to people, you can hear it in their voices, and that's going to be an ongoing challenge. Um, in rural Ontario, challenge is always proximity and privacy. Um, so in victim services, many of us are from here and we grew up here. And it's always really difficult to respond to calls that end up being someone we know or someone that we're associated with either at work or through our other affiliations. Um, in some ways, uh, the ad adaptation to telecounseling uh, might be beneficial because um, transportation and availability of services is always a challenge for rural Ontario and just making it accessible for people when they need it. Um, perhaps this is an opportunity for us to provide those services. And I'm hopeful that um, working from home or telework, uh, we can prove that we can use these skills that we've learned uh, to attract professional jobs to rural Ontario. And life in Ontario sh shouldn't, in rural Ontario, shouldn't be seen as a barrier to advancing your career. Super, Jackie, thank you for that. Uh, Abdul, how about next to you? And you're muted, Abdul. Okay, thank you very much for actually inviting me to participate in this webinar. I'm really happy to contribute my thoughts to these uh, unprecedented times in our, in our lives. Uh, so, uh, as we mentioned earlier, I'm a PhD student candidate at the Department of Geography, Environment and Geomatics. A part of my, the work I do is actually trying to, trying to build the capacity of rural communities, mostly through my interest in food and agricultural development. So I mostly ask questions uh, around building the capacity of agriculture through labor development and uh, technological advancement in agriculture. Since the start of the COVID-19, uh, I have seen mostly two main issues that are intersect with the work, work I do that are unfolding in our rural communities. Uh, as we all know, we, we've had a lot of issues around labor, agricultural labor, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Because we, did, we realized that the, the pandemic actually started at a time when uh, farmers were actually beginning to go into the fields, which meant that, as usual, farmers will need their 
uh, temporary foreign workers who come in about 60,000 of them each year. So they, they did ask for exceptions. The one interesting thing about it is the fact that even going beyond the temporary workers who come in, the Canadian agricultural sector still has labor shortages. Year in, year out, we've seen that uh, there's still more than about 16,000 labor shortages. And this year, we've seen the numbers are still around 10,000 labor shortages in the sector. And this has implications for rural communities because for most part, most of these farming jobs are uh, in our rural areas. And we've seen that the virus has actually worsened the situation as people are reluctant to go out to work, which means that we may, we may compromise the food that we produce in our rural communities and in a larger extent change some of the dynamics in the rural communities. Another interesting thing uh, regarding this, which intersects with my work, is actually building on these labor shortages is the fact that we have seen that farmers are beginning to look for solutions. So farmers in both rural and urban areas. And one area that we have seen that farmers are actually moving towards is trying to use technologies to offset the labor shortages in our, our rural communities. And we do know that from the labor shortages to disruptions in our food chain, and the outbreak has actually put a strain on rural agri-food sector, like in our supply chains, especially for small-scale farmers. And we are also seeing small-scale farmers with the supply chain being disrupted, looking to internet platforms to actually connect with consumers so that they can sell their food. So which means that farmers are actually moving a little bit more towards technology in order to actually let's say recover from this uh, pandemic. And we've seen a lot with CSAs like going online. We've seen a lot with uh, consumers connecting. So there's a silver lining to it because over years, we've seen the agriculture sector being disconnected with rural communities. And since the pandemic is actually bringing farmers back closer to their consumers through the mediated through technologies, there is a silver lining that we may see that the farming community may reconnect with consumers and more broadly may reconnect with uh, their rural communities as well. So, mm, we, that's... We, yeah, we really wait to see what the dynamics would be. But these are some of the things that are actually unfolding in some of our rural community and agricultural sector. That's really interesting, Abdul. Um, Ryan, let's, let's uh, talk to you for a minute. Yeah, it's great to be, to be here and be able to join for this really important conversation. There's maybe two elements that I'd like to share that are impacting rural communities that I'm working with. One is around volunteerism. Uh, and Jackie mentioned that right off the hop around those organizations that are providing those frontline services. And throughout rural communities across this country, volunteerism has been a really key feature and it's part of the fabric of what makes rural a rural community. And Rural communities over the past years have seen all sorts of um, kind of ebbs and flows and challenges and opportunities. Um, but at the moment, um, rural communities are, are challenged in how they respond um, during the COVID-19 crisis. We have seen all sorts of um, challenges related to the isolation that sometimes comes. Um, during COVID-19, the ability for individuals to volunteer their time, whether that's to assist with a Meals on Wheels program or young um, activities for young people, or whether that is with the community library or other um, public spaces, this has all been compromised under the COVID-19 measures. We also have a number of nonprofit organizations that have had to rethink how they do service delivery and how they 
build on their commitment to the people that live in their communities. And this is still unrolling. We're still figuring out how this all is going to take place, um, but it's really exciting to see some of the innovation that has emerged from our rural leaders and rural communities around this front. The second piece I'd maybe mention, Phil, is around newcomers. And Abdul mentioned the seasonal agricultural workers that may be involved in agricultural production in, in rural areas, um, but rural communities continue to attract and to welcome newcomers, whether that's new immigrants, refugees, or maybe it's urban residents that are moving out of the city and into our rural communities. And over the past couple of months, these are really difficult time for newcomers that are moving into smaller communities. This pandemic has caused a disruption in terms of the supports for newcomers. It's challenged just the ability to tap into that social fabric, to be able to participate and to volunteer, um, to have your children engaged in, in extracurricular activities. And this is causing that, enhancing that sense of isolation that's taking place uh, within rural communities. And these are two of the kind of key things that I've been working on over the past uh, few months uh, with rural communities across the country around newcomers and, and volunteerism. Super, thank you, Ryan. And Helen. Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Helen Hambly Odame, and my area of rural research is primarily in the area of connectivity, internet connectivity, and, and broadband services into rural areas and, and regions. And during the COVID 19 um, crisis, we can see how essential uh, broadband has become for every single Canadian, urban and rural. And yet we have to acknowledge that uh, even what we're doing here today, which is speaking on video conference with a, a number of different speakers, um, would actually be quite impossible in many rural areas across the country. And we have a digital divide uh, coming into this pandemic. It has um, made um, some of the crisis uh, more uh, difficult in terms of adapting livelihoods uh, as we all stay home. And for some rural users uh, lacking connectivity, uh, basically ex experiencing uh, even greater isolation from the rest of society and the economy. And we also can see during this uh, COVID-19 crisis very clearly that the internet and broadband is the way forward. So it's also the way to overcome uh, the disruption uh, that we've experienced uh, overcome the obstacles of this disruption um, that uh, we see with the pandemic and um, embrace uh, some of the opportunities that come along with improved connectivity. Literally overnight, Canadians had to stay at home. Companies had to go online. Uh, people lost their jobs or were laid off, had to go online, file for benefits. Um, kids were at home, had to start learning online. Telehealth services for those not infected with COVID-19 had to go online, including mental health services. We can see how essential connectivity is um, in this pandemic, and we have to make it a priority to come out of it. Thank you for that, um, Helen. And, and that's actually a really great segue um, that you raised this, this sort of flip side that internet is simultaneously a a challenge, a resource challenge, but it's also a solution. And uh, I'd like to dig into that question of the resources, um, whatever resources means to you in your particular area, uh, the resources that, that folks in rural communities have or need to have in order to uh, effectively respond and, and move sort of forward out of this pandemic. And, and Ryan, maybe I'll, I'll start with you because you also mentioned in, in your response innovation. Uh, 
And I think there's a relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's maybe useful to take one step back and just to think for a second that there are over 6 million Canadians that live in a rural community from coast to coast to coast. And, and here, just in the province of Ontario, rural is home to about 1.4 million residents, uh, which would be about the fifth largest province if rural Ontario was a province unto itself in this country. And when we look at all of those rural communities and the people that make up those communities, uh, we have to be careful that we don't assume that all of our rural areas are equal, that they're not a homogenous region. We have different experiences, different capacities, and different resources that are available to each of those communities, whether you're in Tumblr Ridge in northern British Columbia or Blanc Sablon, Quebec, or here in Jarvis, Ontario. So we need to start thinking about um, why the COVID, our responses to COVID-19 need to look different in different places. And I think we have a, a tremendous amount of uncertainty and change that are taking place. And we need to differentiate that sometimes from the policies and the um, strategies that our urban counterparts might be utilizing um, and recognizing that they may or may not be the most appropriate for rural communities as we move forward. Rural communities tend to be smaller in size. They tend to have larger distances to other centers. And we also see that um, over years of um, regionalization efforts, a lot of services have moved out of our smaller communities. And this compromises our ability to access things from time to time. But at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of assets, skills, and resources that are contained within the people that live in rural communities. And I think COVID-19 is a really interesting opportunity to start thinking about those innovative strategies. We've got um, really cool initiatives that are linking local food producers to consumers in new ways that we've not done in the past. We see rural residents building activities and strategies around um, enhancing social development, um, providing opportunities for young people to continue to learn in a new way um, that often embraces the internet connectivities when those communities have it. And so at the end of the day, for me, I think one of the really important things that we have to think about as we move forward is around how to build place-based strategies. How do we build on the assets that are currently within our communities, within the people that live there? And how do we use those assets to meet what are local priorities, what people want to achieve? And I think during this pandemic, we've started to change our notion of what is a priority and, and where we rank some of our priorities. And I think this is an exciting topic now um, that we're just starting to embrace and starting to figure out how to move forward with. Uh, and I suspect my colleagues will have some commentary on that as well. Mm -hmm, super. And and yeah, you know, you there's there's different problems and therefore different solutions in different places. And and it it has me wondering, uh, you know, underneath a lot of what you guys were already talking about is rural broadband. Um, and I wonder, Alan, um, is in you know normally I would be the first person to say there is no one size fits all solution to any problem. But is to some extent perhaps improving and equalizing rural connectivity, is that a start? Is that a one-size-fits-all? Um, obviously acknowledging that the challenges are different even for that from place to place. Uh, to some extent, I'd agree, Phil, that it is um, a ubiquitous strategy. It's needed everywhere. It's, it's uh, uh, not just a basic service objective here in Canada for all Canadians. So if the, the statement is not just for those who live in urban areas, it's for all Canadians. Um, but the strategies of how to get there and what's actually built and how it's going to be used are going to be very regionalized. And that's also um, going to create an economy of, 
uh, scope and scale in a rural area that makes that kind of investment in broadband infrastructure affordable for both uh, uh, private sector and public sector uh, investors. So the strategies are going to be um, grassroots and uh, tailor-made for, for the local context, ideally, but not necessarily on a, on a single community level, that that could be very expensive. So uh, collaboration as a region tends to be the way that, um, that uh, broadband networks and next generation connectivity is, is being developed. Um, it's also very important to make efficient uses of resources in this area. Uh, while laying fiber cable is infinitely less expensive than building a highway or a bridge, uh, it's still quite expensive and um, we have to use resources wisely. Even at the um, household level, our data shows how crucial connectivity is to saving Canadians money in rural areas as well as in urban areas. Surprisingly, there's about 60% of households in rural areas who run a home-based business business that could be very micro to being a small or medium-sized business from home, from, far, from the farm or from the residence. And these types of uh, economic uh, activities are, are quite crucial for the livelihood of rural people and they're often not recognized. We don't collect data about them necessarily very well, we don't understand their needs, uh, and uh, we don't necessarily appreciate how seasonal uh, some of these home-based businesses are as well. So let's, let's look at the future going forward as one of opportunity through improved connectivity and getting um, services online for those who are isolated because they're on the wrong side of the digital gap. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Jackie, you know, we talk a lot during all of this about isolation and, and, and you know, and recognizing that even Zoom, only things like Zoom can only do so much in terms of addressing isolation and that isolation, uh, whether it's from resources, whether it's from services, whether it's from uh, each other. Do you have any thoughts on, on what it will really take to, to sort of solve some of these? What resources are needed to solve some of these challenges? Um, I'd like to touch on some things that Ryan uh, pointed out as well. Um, so Victim Services has a staff of three and we have about 50 volunteers um, that normally respond in person to provide our short-term support. Um, we cover, our volunteers cover 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and that takes a huge volunteer base. Um, when our volunteer base is you know, undergoing stress at the scale that COVID is um, is pushing on our communities that really starts to destabilize our establishments. And so it's really careful, it's really important for us to recognize um, the signs of stress within our own volunteer base and our staff as well. Um, we haven't sent out volunteers since the first COVID travel restrictions were put in place. And, but that increased the burden on staff that we're normally uh, trying to do their own jobs, trying to manage their own families at home. And then they're, they're doing um, also the roles that the volunteers used to play. Um, we've since hired a few temporary staff um, to manage crisis lines and to respond to some of the calls. Um, but we've also had to narrow the scope of the calls that we normally respond to. So we're really focusing on incidents involving domestic violence and fatalities. And those are the ones that are um, have the most potential to um, cause a ripple effect in our communities. Uh, we're trying to follow the recommendations for PPE as best we can. 
Um, but at the same time, we're trying to keep ourselves healthy, our families healthy, um, and watch for signs of trauma within our own volunteers. Um, one thing I'd like to point out with this move to online, it's really hard to reach out for help uh, when you're stuck in your home in the same conditions that are causing the crisis. So if there's a, a challenge with addiction or domestic violence or mental health, um, people are not only isolated by distance in rural Ontario, but they're isolated because of the travel restrictions. And people are working at home, they're doing school at home, and the levels of stress are just um, going up. Um, also, there haven't been shelters or housing available for those at risk of domestic violence, uh, unless it's a very severe case. So again, people don't have access to the services and uh, that can be a real challenge in, in rural Ontario at the best of times, and it's just sort of been made worse. Um, we are anticipating that there'll be an increase in calls related to domestic violence, mental health crisis, um, suicide, um, and addiction. Um, as time goes on, we've seen it with other um, tragic circumstances in our community, such as the tornado in Godrich. Um, so we've been ramping up our services. We'll be trying to um, attract more volunteers to help uh, when that's needed, um, but everybody will be. Um, other community mental health and addiction services have ramped up telecounseling as well um, as an attempt to sort of mitigate the potential impacts of the crisis. Uh, there are organizations that are, um, as Ryan said, really restructuring and trying hard to reach everyone in rural Ontario. So I'll just name a couple. There's West for Youth, which is an organization in Walkerton that provides online counseling for youth in rural Ontario. Um, community Mental Health Services and Choices for Change, um, that organization deals with addiction services. They're offering online counseling and group therapy for families. Uh, Do More Egg Foundation specifically appeals to farmers dealing with mental health issues and their families. Um, in the Know is a mental health program developed for farmers by Dr. Andrea Jones-Bitten at the University of Guelph. And there's also the Mental Health First Aid course offered by CMHA. But rural isolation is and always will be a challenge. So while the internet telecounseling offers some opportunities, there's also some real barriers. So that wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to our rebroadcast of these series of webinars that have been organized by the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph and the Food from Thought Initiative. Next week, we will finish this discussion on the topic of COVID-19 and social impacts on rural communities. Tune in next week for our rebroadcasting of this two-part webinar during our weekly Food Farm Talk shows, airing Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. At, on CFRU 93.3 FM. We hope you will listen in next week. Thank you so much and take care. So that wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to our rebroadcasts of these series of webinars that have been organized by the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph and the Food from Thought Initiative. Next week, we will finish this discussion on the topic of COVID-19 and social impacts on rural communities. Tune in next week for our rebroadcasting of this two-part webinar during our weekly Food Farm Talk shows, airing Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on CFRU 93.3 FM. We hope you will listen in next week. 
Thank you so much and take care.